Hello and welcome back to another episode of OsteoTalk, the podcast dedicated to the advocacy of the osteopathic profession. Today I am joined by guest speaker Lucas Papantonio, who is a recent BCom graduate. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lucas. No, no, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Um, so my first question um, for you is, well, you've obviously just recently graduated. So in terms of what happens next after um, graduating from an osteopathy um, degree, what are the sort of options for students in terms of um, what's out there in terms of work, really? Um, so recently it's, it's opened up a lot more. Um, before it was more private practice. So either you were self-employed or you were or you worked, which is currently the case, or you work in a clinic where uh, you're self-employed and then because you're working in someone else's clinic uh, you split the commission so each patient pays you know 60 and then osteopath gets 15 clinic gets uh, osteopath gets uh, 30 and clinic gets 30 um, so that's that's the self-employed osteopath and then there's the fixed contract and fixed pay where uh, it's not per patient they um, they pay you annually like a normal normal salary and it, it doesn't matter how many patients you get um, so it depends what you like. I guess that one's more stable because it doesn't really matter if you're quiet at the beginning because you know you're going to get a fixed uh, salary throughout mm-hmm. the year. By the same time, I guess um, being doing it per patient means that when you get really busy, you then have a lot more money coming in. Um, in terms of the working with the NHS, that's that's possible, and and I think now it's more uh, possible because we've become an allied health. Uh, practitioner so now I'm not entirely sure how it works but I, I think it's possible that we get a lot more referrals uh, to to osteopaths um, in general and also now it's more uh, like it's it's more normal for osteopaths to join the NHS it's you know it's been the last year and a half I think by us joining it's just given us a lot more opportunities in the hospital so I guess that's also a fixed contract salary uh, thing so you'd be paid per year so it's more stable um, so you got I guess those are the three options I'm sure there's more but I think those are the main ones to, yeah. to think about excellent and I guess it's also if people are interested in a sort of like subspecialty then they can kind of continue their education as well um, I know for example um, the OCC does um, a one or two year course um, for people who are interested in paediatrics and that's something that I've been looking into personally um, so yeah there's also those options as well um, and in terms of kind of moving away from the college experience and entering the world of work do you feel that um, your sort of treatment process is quite similar to how we've been taught at BCom or have you kind of got your own sort of style do you think it's sort of translated well how's it sort of been for you? Um, so I, th- I think that's that's a great question um, because obviously at uni the focus is learning and being very thorough and then when you get into uh, actual working life uh, then sort of time becomes quite important being efficient uh, with your diagnosis assessment treatment um, so I think I think uni was great because it does make you very thorough uh, tutors are you know always on your back which is a good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, and I think I think it's it's uh, it's a little bit tricky at the beginning because you are going from an hour consultation to like forty minutes in some places and 30, 30 minutes in other places, mm. which um, I think yeah 
I think I, I kind of struggled and I, I think now I'm, I've talked to my tutor, my, my, my principal to see if we can get a bit, a bit longer time at the beginning because transitioning from an hour to, um, but I think, I think it definitely, I think becomes def definitely prepares you well. Um, it, yeah, they're just very, makes you very thorough. And I think throughout the process, as long as you're always trying to become more efficient, then by, you know, when you come out of uni, you'll be able to, you know, keep learning and keep refining your process and, and keep, keep making it more efficient. Not, you don't really want to miss out things. Like I've heard osteopaths who've been in practice for a very long time. They, they just completely miss out sections of, you know, in consultation and you think, how, how are you safe? Like coming out of become, I think, they definitely keep you to a good standard. And um, so, yeah, I, I'd say it, it will be tricky for everyone at the beginning, but I think um, uh, you're up for improving your process. I think, I think it, it will be fine. You'll definitely be able to, to keep, it, keep it to the time they, they give at the clinic wherever you're working. Excellent. Um, so the next thing I wanted to sort of discuss is revision style, um, both in just what we kind of learn our modules, but also um, and also the dis dissertation as well. But we'll, we can do that um, after. So first revision. Um, so I think it's great that with BCom, I feel like everyone's very happy to sort of approach any student. Um, you know, even if they don't know them very well. Um, and I've had students come up to me from the year below and ask about um, pathology and diagnosis, for example. And it's really funny because I was in the same position this time last year as well. <laughs> so I'd been asking the year threes, like, there's so much information, like, how do you, where do you start? Um, so yeah, so let's um, discuss revision style for different sort of um, modules. So for me, I guess it's quite simple. There's anatomy which is where I learned, you know, I focused on flashcards. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm the type of student that I can't just read and rewrite and then learn that way. For me, that's basically wasted time. Mm -hmm. goes. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I struggled a little bit at college and then getting to uni, I was kind of a little bit difficult at the beginning, but I think I, I learned best through uh, visual cues. So, flashcard look covered it and then tried to recall in my mind the image and then wrote down my answers of landmarks or muscles or whatever okay um coming to other subjects that's when i went full on um uh, mind maps um and so i kind of yeah i just did mind maps and then i just same thing covered the mind map and then tried to um and that's it sounds it sounds simple but that's pretty much how I revised everything. Um, and I think people have an idea of what a mind map is. And I think um, it's slightly wrong because they don't add enough layers. So I, 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 in my mind, I kind of, the way I, I like imagine learning is layering bits of information on each other. So for example, color, symbols, uh, you know, even like mnemonics um, and then like the size of the image. Um, and so in a, in a mind map, a lot of people kind of just do this huge brainstorm where they put everything on it and you look at it and it's scary. It's like, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it just, lo it looks horrible, you know? Whereas the mind maps I'm talking about are, are 
from Tony Buzan. So if anyone wants to check out Tony Buzan, he kind of, he's the founder of mind maps. Okay. And um, he, the way he describes making a mind map is just, is just great. And because there's so many more layers, color, imagery, uh, mnemonics, uh, you know, even A for one branch, B for another, you just, you add so many more layers that in your mind, it just connects more. And that's what you want. You don't want to have just one one sentence and try and memorize it. You want that sentence to be an image. You want it to have color. You want it to have more meaning, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, doing the mind map his way definitely, for me, helped. I think it would help a lot of people. I think um, it's always, it was always funny because whenever I did it in class, I think in my year, they, they weren't used to it. So whenever I started doing it, they were kind of like, dude, what on earth is that? Like, looks, uh, looks ridiculous. And um, but it was perfect, you know. The more ridiculous it was, the better I I remembered it. Um, mm. And I, I had a I had a friend who was always like, uh, "Oh, you should sign it, man. That's your Picasso." <laughs> and uh, it was basically just just to express that it literally was like like an abstract uh, painting picture thing. Where for other people it was weird, but for me it made total sense. Yeah. Um, so so I'd say yeah mind maps, um, imagery, and just recall. I think, I think it's scary to test our memory. I think it's, it was so scared. That's why we always read and rewrite because we're like, oh, but if, if I can't remember it now, then in the exam, I won't be able to remember it. So, so why am I going to test my memory now and realize that I don't know it? That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Like part of learning is, is, is trying to recall it as much as possible so that it's there when you need it, not just read it, rewrite it, and then get in the exam and think, oh, I don't actually know that. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do. Um, so I think recall, like testing recall is, is, is amazing. And, and just accepting that at the beginning, you're not going to be able to memorize it in one go. By just accepting that maybe it might take three, four times, but as long as you're doing it fairly regularly, um, that's going to stick. Another is, um, it's called spaced, spaced learning, or, or I can't remember how, um, how it's called exactly but the idea is that our brain takes information in and after a while we forget it but as long as we catch at a certain point and then revise it then the memory like like of that of that piece of information like doubles or just increases so for example if you want to learn something and have it in your head for five months then you want to revise it on day one a week later two weeks later a month later two months later so obviously I wasn't that organized in fourth year. Like I can't say for every piece of information I did this because that's incredibly difficult and I'm not that organized. I'm fairly organized, but I'm not that organized. Um, so, so, but I would try and think to myself, right, maybe if I revise this and then in a couple of weeks I revise it again, and maybe in a couple of, like maybe a month and a half I revise it again, that will increase my memory to the point where I remember 70% of it. In which case, when it comes to the exam, 70% is pretty good or, you know, 60% is pretty good um, instead of, you know, read it, rewrite it and then just hope in a month it'll be there. Because trust me, like, I, I don't think that works. Um, it hasn't, hasn't worked for me, maybe it works for other people. But yeah, so I'd say a combination of imagery, mind maps, testing recall and then space learning where you're giving it a day, a week or whatever. I think 
that's um, that's an incredible way to strengthen your memory. And so that's that's the memory aspect. Then there's the understanding. So Savash in a class one time, he said there was a student who just memorized stuff and uh, came to the exam and they said, oh, uh, you know, for this um, for this condition, uh, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't quite remember what the point was, but basically the guy just regurgitated information. And then they said, so does that mean you should or shouldn't do that technique or that is or isn't the condition? And the, the guy wasn't able to give a proper answer because he's like, oh, uh, it's in my list. So yeah, it must be that. But it, it was wrong because he, he didn't quite understand the question. He just regurgitated it. So I'd say learning in general is a combination of memory and understanding. So the more you, you're able to memorize, of course, the more you're able to understand. But um, if it's memory by itself, then it's sort of, you know, you can't connect it with things. It's hard to answer questions. You, you just don't quite understand it. But if it's just understanding, like you get, you understand things, but then you can't remember it, then you're also missing part of the puzzle. So that, like, when it came to my studying, I'd kind of, I kind of tried to ask myself, I couldn't, and I didn't do this all the time. And I think if I did, I, I'd probably learn a lot more and, and it would help my memory as well, because they're all connected. But I think when you memorize something, asking yourself, why? Why is it that, you know, uh, you know, what causes type 1 and type 2 diabetes? I know the symptoms, but like what what exactly causes it? You know, is it genetic? Is it lifestyle? Like, you know, what, what brings it on and, and why does it bring it on? Because, you know, understanding helps your memory. And of course, the more you memorize, the more you can understand. So it's all linked. So as well as doing with mind maps and this and testing and space learning, trying to ask yourself why. And and there's there's a guy, very clever guy called Feynman. Uh, and he he did the Feynman technique. I think it's quite popular. A lot of people know about it. Um, uh, but base, the basic thing of that is whatever you learn, breaking it down to the simplest terms. So, in, you know, to, you know, let's say you talk about, mu uh, okay, muscles, different example because they're Latin names. But let's say pathology or physiology, like when there's a process in the body, instead of talking, just saying, oh, yeah, homeostasis, blah, 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 breaking it down, like what is homeostasis? And, uh, and, and, you know, break, bring it down to the basic steps to where you can just explain it to some, some person on the street so they can understand it. And if you can't do that and you, you don't know how to break the larger words down, then, then trying to break down even further because perhaps you still don't understand it enough to break it down further. Um, so I'd say, I think, yeah, I, 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 I didn't do all of those, but I think by doing as many things, as many of those as you can, I think you will definitely increase your your ability to learn things in a short amount of time and be more uh, efficient and effective when learning. Um, I know that doesn't quite answer your question because you wanted to talk per subject. No, but, no, not, um, not, not necessarily. It's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. No, that's really, really good um, for in terms of how to actually go about revising. Um, another thing I think I'm actually going to mm. add is... I think when we start reading around a subject, it's very easy to go down a bit of a rabbit hole. And I feel like the more you sort of uh, like learn and discover, the more you realize you don't know. And that can be quite scary. Um, so I would also add having a really sort of um, a plan of what you're going to revise during a particular revision, uh, revision session. Um, and also if you work well in groups, having a group um, is really helpful to make sure you guys stay on track as well. Um, just so that it doesn't get 
too overwhelming <laughs> so have something to sort of stick to and refer back to um, almost like a checklist mm-hmm. um, to make sure that the time you spent revising um, is effective yeah um so the next thing I wanted to move on to mm-hmm. was um sorry can I just yeah no, go for I, it can I just add the next uh, something yeah go for it um I would say anatomy you kind of go you know as you said and that's fair but for pathology I realized that actually you want to know more you know the the idea is learn uh, a little about a lot because pathology there's so many diseases and and conditions that you probably only need to learn like you know five symptoms and you know four causes and rather than learning like 25 causes you don't need to know that many causes exactly (laughs) for the exam so um so anatomy is like you know, a lot about a little, whereas pathology, I'd say, is a little about a lot. We're, we're osteopaths. We're not doctors. We don't need to know that that detail. We just need to be able to screen and make sure that whatever the person has isn't, you know, like cancer. And we're not trying to treat them for back pain when they have cancer. And just to be, be able to screen it out. Um, so I, I'd say, yeah, pathology is more a little about a lot. No, 100%. I agree. That's a really good point. Thank you for adding that. Um, the next thing I wanted to discuss was dissertations. And um, my year group's actually at a point where we have to hand in um, a sort of plan for our dissertation in about two weeks' time. So this will be useful for me as well. <laughs> um, so in terms of dissertations, I think it can feel quite overwhelming. I think my year group's a bit... Mm. They sort of know roughly what they want to do, but it's we're at that point where we need to hone in and, and make it quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> kind of come up with a question and, and really think about it in um, a bit more detail, I guess. But mm-hmm. so what are your tips in terms mm-hmm. of kind of starting thinking about a dissertation? So, okay, yeah, yeah, good question. Um, so I'd say, an important thing is to realize that no matter what dissertation you do, it's going to be difficult. So a lot of people think, oh, in that case, I'll just pick a random dissertation. Um, I disagree because if it's difficult and you hate it, it's horrible. It, it's hell. Why would you pick something that's, that's difficult and, and just and just not enjoy it? Like, that's horrible. So, so I decided that I was going to do uh, something I was very uh, passionate about and so I did the effect of activity levels in because uh, exercise is important um, in general. And in our profession, it's good to understand how we can, uh, you know, how we can support people to do more exercise. Um, and so that's important. And obviously understanding motivation for that is important because then, as I said, uh, you, you can you can guide, guide your patients in a better way if you understand them better. So... Um, I understood it was going to be hard, but I think like a lot of things in, uh, in life, um, if it's hard, but it's worth it, then it's fine. You can, you can put the hard work in if you enjoy it. That's cool. Uh, what's the point of putting hard work into something you hate? I don't understand. You're basically just choosing to hurt yourself, mentally hurt yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I just, so, so of course do whatever you want and I'm not judging anyone, but I think you would find a, a more worthwhile experience if um, if you do something you enjoy, even if it's even if you think it's perhaps uh, 
you know, a little bit non, not related to, to osteopathy. I mean, it has to be related, but, um, and I guess I was lucky, but I'm, because last year we couldn't do, uh, you know, we couldn't do actual tests on, on, page, on people because of COVID or whatever. And so I was able to do something which was uh, based on online research, secondary research from other studies. But, um, but yeah, just, just try and find something uh, that, that is definitely enjoyable. Definitely. I completely agree with that. <laughs> um, for myself, I've decided to go for, so I want to do a pediatric study. Um, I'd say also think about the implications of that in terms of um, being approved by the ethics committee. Um, I got told by a few lecturers that with a pediatric study, it will be harder for it to be approved because of um, like safeguarding and, and the ethics side of things. But I mean, the way I see it, there's loads of pediatric studies that are being done all the time. Um, and I'm not the first person <laughs> to go for it. So it is definitely doable. Um, it might be a little bit harder, but um, like you said, I, I don't want to do something that I don't enjoy. So, and it's, this is personally my passion. So that's yeah. what I'm going for. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, in terms of recruiting um, participants for a study, what's your advice on that? So, um, of course, my year, we didn't have to do that. So yeah, I know. <laughs> I would say, you know, if you're able to go into each year group, because uh, the students at the university are probably going to be the people who do your, your, your study and uh, trying to get people from outside uni is tough for ethical you know, reasons or whatever. And then trying to get patients to do it is, is possible. But again, it's just tough. Um, so I'd say whoever's in fourth year, each one of them, go to all the other years for at the end of the class. And I know it's scary talking in front of a group of people, but everyone understands that fourth year, you have to do dissertation. You've got to recruit patients, uh, participate in courage, or, or even just be there and then tell the tutor to say, by the way, who's interested in this dissertation? Uh, they need participants. Uh, you know, if you're interested in it, and you know, and the thing is, is some 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 students like myself actually found the the, uh, the 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 topics quite interesting. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to be, I'd love to find out more about pain. You know, everyone loves a bit of pain. Well, I don't know, but no, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so people might find it interesting. So definitely, I'd say go to each year group uh, or get someone, or get someone from each year group to post in their WhatsApp group chat. Uh, for the year um, what they're doing and that they need to get participants and their, their details. Um, oh, that's a really good idea actually yeah. Excellent. There's always a way. There is always. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my next thing was going to be on mental health um, and self-development as a student. Sure. Um, so what are your tips on that? Yeah. Uh, so I'll probably talk a little bit about mental health because um, I find it really interesting. And uh, I, I just want to give a bit of background story. When I was a kid, I was uh, extremely shy, uh, fairly anxious. And um, my dad's part Greek Cypriot. So we had a lot of big Greek family weddings and, you know, big, big family gatherings. And just to, just to express how when I went in there, I thought I was going to die. I thought um, I thought I was going to be, you know, I thought some auntie was going to come up to me and, chat to me and be like oh do you remember me when I saw them when I was like one years old I, yeah. I don't know how people think you can remember something when you're one or two so 
I was just scared of that, you know. So I was scared of that whole social interaction. Um, mm -hmm. And I pretty much stuck to my older brother, my dad, and I followed them like they were my heroes to try and so that they could chat rather than, than me. Um, so I think turning point for me was when I was 16, I failed my A-levels the first year. And that was a moment where I felt like I had to start taking responsibility. Um, and so from that point onwards, I realized that I had to take responsibility of everything in a sense, or, or as much as I could. So my mental health and like my, my, my stress management and my motivation and just what I want to do in life, I had to start thinking about that. So over the last eight years, I've, I've, I've changed a lot since then. And so I'd like to just start talking about stress management. Um, I think it's important to note that everyone feels stressed, uh, whether they show it or not. Um, and I think a lot of people who seem calm actually feel very stressed on the inside. Um, and it's just, just to express how, I think everyone needs to learn how to manage stress. I don't think there are uh, a few, like, few that, that you know, don't need it because they're amazing or confident or whatever. Um, even the confident individuals still feel it. Um, so, and so just, just to start off with, I think there are a lot of things we can do um, to reduce our stress. And I'd like to start off just thinking about uh, expressing our negative uh, feelings and our worry and our stress and our fear. And I think that's very important to express because um, if stress is like, uh, you know, being in the gym, doing an exercise, if there's too much weight on your shoulders, then you're not going to be able to function. There's going to be a point where you're going to be at home for days because you have no idea what to do, absolutely stressed, don't know where to start, uh, completely stuck. So, so I think expression, whether that's through counseling, whether that's through writing in a diary, whether that's just having one of those amazing friends who are happy to listen to you for an hour, 40 minutes, mm. um, and ju just listen, you know, the, the, the people out, there's a lot of people out there who aren't able to listen, um, and that's fine, but I think it's important to find friends that can actually listen to your worries and not judge you for them, because we all have them, you know. Um, so, so expression of, of emotions and, and stress and frustration is really important. I, I just want to put out there that in first year, I had six sessions of counseling, and they were very, very helpful. And at, at BCom, you do get free uh, counseling. So I'd recommend every student to try and get that. I know it's probably impossible to get every student to have the counseling. There's only two counselors, but um, I think it's better to have more people rather than less that take the counseling. Um, that's first point. Um, then second point is, I think um, we need to do a lot more behaviors which allow us to de-stress. Um, you know, for example, just simple relaxation techniques, breathing techniques. Um, I, I don't, I don't start off with meditation because a lot of people think that it's still weird. They think, oh, it's a voodoo ritual that's going to bring back the dead or something. Um, so I think just starting with, um, you know, relaxation techniques, breathing, uh, even just listening to one of those, uh, the, those videos on YouTube or those music videos where the the the, the tone is really just relaxing and and the, the the important thing is is in our life i think it's incredible how we learn how to stress you know we learn how to stress we're we're, we're prone to stressing like our society say you need to work harder you need to work longer you need to have less holiday and i and i get it you know you want to you want to make an impact you want to achieve but 
there's two sides to that coin. There's, there's two sides to everything. Um, and if you're not able to de-stress, then you're not going to be able to function. You know, there are many moments uh, throughout my uni degree when I was so stressed that, that I couldn't do anything, or I was so stressed that I ended up just going on my phone because I felt like I needed to do something. So I was just checking message after message because I thought I was doing something, but I was actually doing nothing. And it was because I was just so stressed that I couldn't think. And that's the thing. That's the worry. When you get so stressed, you just end up not thinking straight and, you know, just making bad decisions. Um, and so, so this, this is a really important question. What's the point of being stressed all the time to the point where, you know, you're being very active, but what you're doing is just useless. It, it's got no, no quality. No, no, it's, it's not, doesn't benefit you in any way. So, I think you you know we all need to find that balance, which of course is difficult, but I think we all need to try because unless we try, we're never going to find it. Number one, and um, and so you know to link to that, I think we need uh, you know especially during the university degree, you know in, in any any year really, just like once a week where you give yourself some time to just chill to uh to um to relax or to practice meditation or to practice relaxation or just to write down in your journal you just you just need you know maybe a day or maybe even no, i'd say a day at least one day you need one day to, to give to yourself yeah and then other activities such as uh, exercise exercise has a major impact on stress level um it really helps reduce it and in terms of dopamine so a lot of people know about dopamine in terms of uh you know it makes you feel good good feeling hormone um it turns out that exercise uh increases your dopamine by twofold so it's two times higher after exercise uh people who enjoy uh, exercise get a higher level of dopamine and people who don't enjoy it so much get an increase but not as much and i think it's interesting to note that exercise in general has almost as much increase in dopamine as sex so sex has an increase of two point three or four and exercise has an increase of by two so um you know exercise has a great impact on the body and i think exercise is also great because you're able to uh switch off from your worries you have to really be focused in the moment on what you're doing um so that that's that's really important um so i think yeah i think number one realizing that we all need to take a day off uh for ourselves um realizing the certain activities we need to do regularly um and so i'd say i just want to put out there i was meditating very frequently throughout fourth year and i think that that literally uh you know saved me i think without it i would be running around like a headless chicken um, <laughs> so i think <laughs> really important uh for me it was really good that i did that mm. and that's that's stress and I, I could talk about that a lot longer, but I, I think it's good to leave it there. Um, oh, I just want to say the thing about dopamine, I learned from Andrew Huberman, and I'd recommend every student to listen to his podcasts. He's a lead professor at Stanford University, and he's a neurobiologist, and he, um, he talks about the mind, and, and basically it's research into neuroscience, but everything he does has an application, uh, you know, practical application into our into our lives so he gives lots of recommendations what you can do to control your states basically um so just want to put that out there and then in terms of motivation 
and I guess also confidence. Uh, I think motivation, put simply, is what do you want and why? And I think uh, throughout fourth year, probably be a good good idea to just start writing down what do you want. I know it's stressful, but if you if you have a better idea of what you want, then you can motivate through the times of stress. For example, um, at one point I had to do a consult where for the first time it was being live streamed to the second years. Um, oh, I remember and, this. Oh, you remember? <laughs> yeah. So, so I didn't know till Monday morning. And so I arrive and within 10 minutes, uh, head of says, Lucas, you ready? With a, with a, you know, with a smile. Yeah, what am I meant to be ready about? And, um, and he said, oh, you're doing a live stream for the consult. So, um, so, you know, and so in that moment, it was kind of stressful, you know, 20 something students looking at you, uh, consults already difficult. And also uh, some tutors, uh, they mean well, but they just naturally put more pressure than others. That's, that's normal. We all, we all know that. So, um, so all that together, I was thinking, crap, man, that's, that's a lot of stress. Um, but I then asked myself, you know, who do I want to be in the future? Like, what sort of person do I want to be? And I want to be someone who's able to stand up in front of groups of people who shares information and who, you know, shares a message in order to help those individuals. And I thought, if that's who I want to be, then I have to be able to do this. Like, I can't not do this because I'm worried. I have to push because that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. So I think in times of struggle and, you know, through the whole of four years, lots of struggle, um, I think you need to have a clear image of uh, who you want to be and what you want to do, because that's going to drive you through those difficult times. Um, so I think, I think that's important. And I think the last thing I want to say is I think people don't know how to build confidence. And I think, I think I'm, I'm learning how to, and I think it's, uh, I'd, I'd like to share that. So I have a confidence handbook where I write every, well, as many achievements as I can remember. And I want to do it daily, but I kind of forget. Um, but the point is, is that I think when we go into challenges, we tend to focus on the negative. Oh, if I do this, I'm going to fail, or people are going to laugh at me, or I'm going to get rejected. And it's natural. You know, we are naturally, uh, you know, we're trying to survive at some level. Our primal brain is trying to keep us alive. And these social situations trigger that, that primal brain. It's like, oh, if you go and make that joke, they're going to laugh at you and you're going to be rejected and you're going to die alone. That's, that's part of our subconscious, you know? And, um, and I think by having a handbook where you write down all your achievements and you try and on a regular basis focus on those achievements, what you're doing is you're creating a level of, uh, of, of like cushion so that instead of when you're going to do something, instead of falling straight away into the negative, you're creating that, that cushion where you're like, oh, actually... Actually, I can do this. I've, I've actually, you know, I've gone, I've, I've treated so many patients. I've had so many consults. Uh, I've been studying from the age of eight to the age of 18, and I've passed every exam. Um, and I've done well. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible how many students are so intelligent. But at the same time, I don't think they need that level of stress. I think when they walk into the exam, and, you know, if they've done well previously, they should be like, I have done well in every exam up to this point. Um, I can do this. Like I don't need to stress. Um, and and I think the point is is we need to create a mental practice of on a weekly or daily basis where we focus on what we can do and what we have done instead of what we can't do because the negative is always going to be there. It's always there. Um, 
did you want to say something? I was going to add, it's really funny that you've mentioned that because I actually have a small notebook where I've got all my like achievements noted down. And whenever I've got like a day where I'm not nice. great about myself, yeah. <laughs> whenever I, I have a day where I feel a bit down or not great about myself, I'm like, look at all that you've done. You know, you're, you're doing a lot better than you think you are because it's, um, it's very easy to get into that sort of negative self-talk and, and um, kind of not really sense. acknowledge how amazing we all are, um, you know, on an individual sort of level. Um, but yeah, I think I think practicing it on a weekly basis is not something that I do. Um, and it's definitely something I, you know, focus on the positive, something I'm definitely taking from this conversation personally. Um, and I'm going to try and improve yeah. my own life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so just leading on to, from that, I think confidence is focus. It's focus on your achievements and it's on the negative outcome and whenever I go into social events I'm always interested to see how confident I can be so I kind of look at through my achievements and I think man uh you know I passed BCom I passed second year that's always something I remind myself I passed second year for me second year was one of the hardest cool break yeah <laughs> and so I just remind myself yeah, right right second year is so important um so knowing I passed second year literally I have five achievements of all time that I remind myself before I go into, you know, stress moment. So passing second year, passing my driving practical exam, which was one of the most stressful things I've ever done, still to today. Um, then there's, you know, I, I did fairly well in table tennis, so I, I got to the national championships, so I remind myself of that. And then, yeah, I should know the other two. <laughs> but I remind myself of those, and then passing fourth year as well, and then, yeah, I think it's just being more socially confident, going from a shy kid to, to being able to be in front of people. So I think I remind myself of, of those, you know, three, four, five situations and achievements. And I think, I think it works. And I think the difference between real solid confidence and arrogance is arrogance is an illusion. When people say, just be confident, I think that is leading to arrogance, where you just think, oh, I'm amazing, I can do this, you know, it's fake, it's not real. Real confidence is looking back at your achievements and thinking, I did that. Nothing, you know, no one can take that away from me. I did that, that is solid, you know. Um, and so, so I think whoever wants to become more confident in themselves, uh, I think having a, having a handbook where you write all your achievements on a regular basis, you go through that. Um, and also I'd say, just last, sorry, last one, um, one about self-esteem, which is um, also having a book where you start writing things uh, that that you like about yourself. And I know this is going to sound very, you know, very odd, but I think I think it's so easy to focus on what we don't have, uh, the qualities we don't have, what we don't like about ourselves. Um, it's so easy, and I think everyone does it. But I think it's important to focus on what you do like about yourself, and literally on a regular basis. Um, and I think the reason I started doing this is because I, I hung out with a, you know, a couple of people who made me feel good, but then from time to time they'd take the piss and you know, they, they'd take it too far. And, uh, and then I didn't feel good about myself. And I realized that the reason I wanted to hang out with them was because they made me feel good. You know? They made me feel good about myself. And I think when it comes to uh, relationships where, or friendships where, um, where you're kind of, you're stuck in that friendship, you don't know why, it's not good for you. It's toxic, but you're, you're stuck in it. And I think it's because as we are not kind to ourselves, 
if someone is a little bit kind to us or makes us feel a little bit good about ourselves, you know, we jump onto that. I didn't want to be in that toxic friendship. I wanted to, I wanted to be happy by myself or with friends that actually cared about me, but happy by myself. And so I, I started to think, well, what could I do? So I started literally writing down what I like about myself on a regular basis, uh, personality or looks or whatever, it doesn't matter. I think personality is also quite important because um, I think it's more genuine, you know, thinking, you know, uh, I tried to help people, I care for people, whatever, whatever, um, you know, you, that, that, that me that's meaningful. The reason you act in that way is because, you know, you want, you want to be treated like that by others. And by, by knowing that you treat others like that, you're happy because, you know, you're, you're proud of yourself in a sense. So I think confidence handbook, definitely a necessity, really important. And then also self-esteem book where, you know, you try, you really force yourself to think, what do you like about yourself? And you really push yourself because that initial step where you're like, this is weird. I don't want to write by myself. Like, you know, but no, you, you have to, um, you have to, because otherwise you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, the hands of someone else who's making you feel good, but then at the other half the time, you feel like crap. Um, so you have to, yeah, you have to have an image of yourself, which you're happy with. And you have to be conscious of what you like about yourself, which is very important. And I think um, not enough people do. And I understand it and it's hard. But once you reach that level, I think life's a lot easier because you stop doubting yourself. You start trusting yourself. And that's when life becomes much more manageable. And instead of doubting yourself, you just focus on what you want. And, and then you really start to achieve stuff in life. So just, just want to talk about those things. So I think each one of those are really important. And I think if everyone practices, this life can be a little bit easier. 100%. And I think it's really important, not just for students, but that's, that's something that's important for everybody in life. Um, and you've made some really great points. Thank you, Lucas. <laughs> in terms of the... Yeah. Um, self sort of uh the books and, and, and doing I feel like I do kind of I have a gratitude journal I guess where I kind of write what I'm grateful about every morning but yeah. it's not necessarily focused on myself and I think that's something that'll be good to start incorporating yeah. so yeah thank you for that <laughs> no 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 that's no. so just uh you know just what you learn on the way that's <laughs> true Excellent. Um, um, oh, uh, can I mention just about the development side? Go for um, it. So if there's one book I would recommend everyone to read, and it's a big book, but you can read a little bit at a time. It's called the um, Awaken the Giant Within. It's by Anthony Robbins. Uh, he's a life coach. He, you know, he's, you know, he seems like a great guy. And his book is is absolutely solid. He talks about core values, limiting beliefs, um, and he, he talks about uh, like how, in a sense, confidence and, and our beliefs based on our references, which are our experiences through life and how we perceive them. So I recommend uh, Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins. I'd recommend The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Habits, every single aspect of our life, is basically controlled by our habits so must read and then Charles Duhigg's second book which I think might be my favorite book of all time it's called Smarter Faster Better and there's basically eight concepts in that book which he explains through stories which are awesome and in terms of just general personal development talk to as many people as you can learn small talk and uh, when you're with patients 
learn to talk about small talk, but also try and find hot, hot topics. And hot topics, I mean, when I talk about that, I mean things that they love talking about. You know, go into sports, do they like football, tennis, you know, do they like gardening? Because the moment you you catch one of those topics, they're like, oh yeah, so the other day I was doing this gardening thing. And then and then it's solid because there's there's this one idea which is people don't remember factually uh you know factual things from a conversation but they always remember how they felt after a conversation so just remember that if you make a patient feel good you know they're likely to come back and then you can do more good work because you know you're going to be great osteopaths but you know if, if you've got that that interpersonal communication element then you're going to be able to do your job better because they're going to want to come and see you and then you get you know, maybe one or more, one or two more treatments where you're able to get more treatment done and then really help them out. So I just, you know, recommend push yourself into as many social challenges as possible and don't judge yourself yourself if they go badly because it's all part might, of That's fine. That's not the point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share the show. You can also connect with me on my Instagram page at Osteotalk Podcast, where you can find resources and information about osteopathy and updates on upcoming episodes available every Friday.